Hi all. So carrying on with section C, the change of resource management, and this is the third optional topic. This is the one specifically focusing on energy. So just a reminder, you need the generic podcast for the, the first one that covers food, water and energy, and then one of the three that focuses specifically on food, water or energy, <clears throat> as that's where you get the case studies. So to start with for energy, we've got to have an idea just the same of water and for food of areas of surplus and areas of deficit which links with the ideas of security and insecurity so first of all what do we use energy for what energy is used for transport producing food manufacturing heating cooling communication there's so many different things that we actually need to use energy for and obviously as we become more developed the increase in consumption is going to be there so in terms of surplus and deficit or insecurity and security on our planet, we generally find that because energy can be manufactured in lots of different ways, it's the high income countries that tend to have the security and have an abundance of energy. And it's low income countries that have this energy insecurity. So that means lots of Africa definitely struggles with energy insecurity, whereas most of the northern hemisphere does not. 90% of the world's energy supply comes from three types of non-renewable energy production. They come from fossil fuels uh, such as oil, natural gas and coal, whereas the rest is made up of the renewables. So we still have a massive imbalance when it comes to the way that we create our energy. And what we're seeing is the creation of an energy gap. Now, this is where we're trying to phase out these non-renewable energy types, but actually struggling to produce the energy needed with the renewables. So why is it that there's a rise in energy consumption? Well, first of all, the economic development. The idea, again, that with the rapid development of newly emerging economies such as China, India and Brazil, we've definitely seen the manufacturing industries in these countries consume far more energy than in the past. We've obviously seen a rise in population, so more people needing energy for heating the, themselves, their food and things like that. And actually just generally modern technology as a whole does actually lead to in increased energy use, whether that's charging phone, iPads, all those types of technology that just require more energy to, to, be, to be used and be devoured. Now, when we look at physical factors that affect the energy supply, we are looking at geology as a major important one. The idea is some countries will have fossil fuel deposits. So it may be how easily they are to extract, how expensive they are, are they economical, and will they provide long-term energy? So even though they might be non-renewable, they're still hugely important for the energy supply of that country. The climate still has an impact because obviously if it's cloudless, sunny skies, that's going to be very good for renewable energy sources like solar. If there's lots of wind, then obviously wind turbines. But also the climate can have an impact on how much we need to heat or cool our buildings, so therefore how much energy use is needed. We might also be looking at environmental conditions such as how difficult it is to access certain resources, such as um, getting oil fields in the North Sea can have a massive impact on how much we can use these non-renewable energy types. Alongside physical factors that may affect the supply of energy, we also need to look at human factors. Uh, one of the biggest ones being how easy it is to get to the energy source, and therefore that has a knock-on impact on how cheap the energy supply will be. 
Generally, cheaper energy will encourage a higher demand and means the resource is more likely to be exploited. So this has been particularly seen with coal industries in the past, where it's a relatively cheap energy source, which means we've used a lot of it. So what we might find is that actually there's a movement in the price paid by consumers, another way of looking at energy supply and con uh, consumption. So the more we have to pay normally means the less energy we try and use. Other human factors might include technology, so the discovery of new sources of energy and the innovation that we've particularly seen with renewable energy has been a major source of new energy creation. But ways of exploiting more inaccessible or different energy sources such as fracking is also something that technology is helping us do. And finally, there's political factors. So what we're seeing is if a country exports oil and that country is politically unstable, that might actually change the price of the oil and therefore create issues with the, the supply and demand and therefore the price of that energy. Just like with food and water, there's definitely some severe impacts of energy and security. The first one is a massive impact on the environment. So if a country has a shortfall, if a country doesn't have enough energy, it's going to cause it to do more drastic and dramatic actions to try and get the energy. Um, we've seen this all around the world with the massive destruction of forests for wood and then the land to grow biofuels. We've seen it particularly in Brazil. It might be that you start to drill for oil in kind of sensitive areas like that in the tundra in Alaska. It could be that you're more willing to flood valleys um, to make hydroelectric power dams and, and even actually the building of wind and solar farms on kind of areas of real kind of scenic beauty that we might see across England. So actually the need for energy and the lack of energy can cause us to do some very dramatic things for the environment. But if we don't have enough energy, the impacts on things like food production and industry are, are really telling. So if we don't have enough energy, we might not be able to grow enough food and therefore feed the population. And if we don't have enough energy for industry, it might mean again that goods cost more or manufacturing has to be reduced because it just purely doesn't have the, uh, the energy to manufacture the goods they're trying to make. This can have a severe knock on on people. So obviously when we have to spend more on energy, that sometimes might mean that we don't heat homes properly and that can certainly cause problems for the elderly in winter. It might be that, that in generally uh, people's jobs are put at risk because of the industry shutting down. And obviously if it gets really severe and we start having power cuts, the inconvenience that this can cause to people. Um, just like with water, there is a worry that in terms of energy, there might be conflict occurring. So generally in the UK, it's likely that agriculture and poor households will be the losers and they might have to kind of, might be more protest and more conflict by them against the rising cost of energy or the lack of energy that they need. There might also be issues between countries with sufficient energy supplies. So looking at kind of access to oil and, and natural gases, and some countries that don't have these might have to look as conflicts as a resolution to get these from other countries. And that obviously could cause some very serious issues for our planet in terms of wars that, that we certainly don't want to be in revolving around the need of energy. Obviously, with the problems associated with lack of energy, there are strategies that are trying to increase our energy supply. And with this, we need to have the right kind of energy mix to make sure 
that we're ready for the future and have enough energy for the people of uh, the country that they live in. So within this, we have to think that actually fossil fuels do certainly have a future. 90% of our energy comes from fossil fuels. But we need to remember that actually there's, there's got to be a shift towards alternate sources of energy and trying to clean up the fossil fuels we currently have as we realise that obviously it is starting to have a major impact on global warming and climate change for the world. So in terms of becoming greener, we have seen a shift to kind of hydroelectric power, wind power, solar power, and one of the newer kind of energy types is biofuels. So this is a fuel that uses kind of wood, which is widely available in many low-income countries, um, and actually used to kind of make energy through that means rather than using fossil fuels. So that is one way that they're trying to increase the energy supply. One of the other major ones that's very controversial is nuclear power. So 5% of the global energy comes from nuclear power. It's important to remember that we in geography class it as a non-renewable source of energy because it does have to be uh, to be come from the uranium which is mined. However, it's such a small quantity of uranium that it will be lasting for hundreds and hundreds of years. What's important to remember that it is a very decisive energy type and countries like Germany and Japan are actually looking at completely removing nuclear as part of their energy mix. In the UK, there was plans for three new nuclear power stations. However, two of those are no longer going to be carrying out. So there's only one new nuclear power station being built and the others will be being closed down. So nuclear may play a part in the future energy mix, but it's actually likely to decrease. In terms of renewables, um, one of the big ones that we're seeing increasing, but obviously is only in certain parts of the planet, is geothermal energy. And obviously that is drilling holes deep into the Earth's crust and then generating electricity from the heat used to heat the water. Now, this is generally only found, obviously, in countries that have kind of better access to this. So Iceland is a very good prime example of this. But countries like England are taking advantage of tidal and wave power because of their location. So the location is very important when it comes to increasing this energy supply. The specification now asks for an example to show how the extraction of a fossil fuel has both advantages and disadvantages. Now for this, I'm going to be looking at natural gas, and it's not a specific case study to a country, but it's actually the extraction of natural gas as a whole. So it's important to know that natural gas provides about 24% of the world's energy supply, and that's actually risen quite recently. It used to be very much dominated by the coal and kind of other fossil fuels, but now natural gas is, is on the rise. It's made up from decaying animal and plant matter, and it's basically trapped deep underground in shale rock formations that we drill down to and release the gas. Now, there's 15 countries that between them hold over 80% of the world's proven reserves of natural gas, with the top three being Russia, Iran, and Qatar. Um, Russia actually has more than most countries put together, somewhere in the region of 45 trillion cubic metres of natural gas reserves. Now, when it comes to the advantages and disadvantages, this is obviously what, the, what we're focusing on for the specification, is that overall, environmentally, it is actually much cleaner than coal. It's actually 45% less carbon emissions than coal and 30% less than oil. And it doesn't produce waste such as coal ash. Um, so it is actually environmentally better 
than the other two types of fossil fuels. Um, it's, it can be used for many different purposes. It's ideal because it allows precise control and quick results, and it's more abundant than the other fossil fuels that we currently use. Because of this, it means that it's cheaper to produce, and therefore that cost could be passed on to the consumer. But as we've seen, if it's cheaper, it might lead to overuse of this. So in terms of the disadvantages, leakages can be very dangerous and can cause explosions. And one of the major problems is, is that the gas itself is odourless and therefore we actually have to add an odour to the gas to make sure people can spot when there is a leak occurring. As I've said, if you start seeing a cheaper cost of this passed on to the consumer, we might also see an increase in its use, which would not be good either. And for motor vehicles, fuel gives less mileage than the current petroleum that we use, so it wouldn't be as efficient in our cars. Well, it's important to remember that no current method of manufacturing energy is perfect. Natural gas does have some kind of overwhelming advantages over the current fossil fuels that we use, but it's important to remember that it still has disadvantages as well. We now need to look at how we can have a more sustainable energy future. Um, key ideas here are what you would expect. We need to reduce our reliance on fossil fuels and make every effort to reduce the emissions that are created for uh, things like carbon dioxide. We've got to try and shift more to renewable energy sources and just be more efficient with what we do. There's some very simple ways of doing this. Um, an individual can switch off lights and power sockets when not in use, try and use energy efficient light bulbs, try and put warmer clothing on instead of actually turning the heating. There's lots of things that we can do to personally try and reduce our energy consumption. But there's also some key ideas as well that we need to do more on a larger scale. So one of the things we're going to look at in terms of our energy conservation, minimizing the waste of energy, is actually improving the way we build our homes and workplaces. So you've probably all heard of loft insulation in terms of trying to keep the heat in. We've looked at kind of this idea of uh, renewables, but actually on modern homes, we're seeing a lot more solar and wind turbines. But one of the key things we can do is also just make sure that our windows have the correct amount of glazing to try and again, reduce the amount of heat that's lost. So they're very simple ways that we could ensure that the home and the workplace retains heat and therefore doesn't need as much energy. In terms of transport, it seems like we are fixed with the amount of transport we need. We obviously all need to get to work, school and all the things in between that. But it's about trying to look at can we share rides, can we reduce the amount of energy needed, can we move over to electric cars. There's lots of ways that we could try and reduce the amount of energy we consume for our transport needs. In terms of just demand reduction, we need to try and make sure that everything we do is making sure there's energy left for use tomorrow or in the future. So all of these ideas from the individual to in the home to transport are all about trying to make sure that we reduce the demand now and leave energy for the future. The final idea is use of technology to become more efficient. So we've seen the idea of carbon capture technology to remove carbon from the atmosphere or from the actual emissions from factories. But there's also another idea with technology called combined heat and power. <clears throat> now with this, it essentially uses the heat generated from a single fuel source to generate electricity and to provide a supply of hot water for heating and air conditioning of housing schemes, shopping centers, and hospitals. 
And what this does is it increases efficiency of the fuel to 85% compared to 52%, which is used for traditional thermal power station. So this technology, this combined heat and power is far more efficient and means less emissions are put into the atmosphere. So this is a really good way of becoming more sustainable. Finally, we need an example of a local renewable energy scheme in a low-income country or a newly emerging economy to provide sustainable supplies of energy. I'm going to be looking at the low-income country of Nepal. Now, Nepal has a major issue with energy because it actually has no significant deposits of coal, oil or natural gas of its own. And being landlocked and quite mountainous, it's very difficult to import fossil fuels. It does have an electricity grid but its 28 million population really struggles with gaining or getting electricity and some days there can be 10 hours of power cuts so it really is a problem getting this energy. The major sustainable solution that they've adopted is something called micro hydro plants and these use an idea of the run of the river type scheme so it's not using a dam or a reservoir it's building a separate channel that takes some water out the river or the stream, putting it through a tank to remove the sediment and then letting the rest of the water run over a turbine that drives a generator providing electricity to the local community. This reduces all the expense of building a dam or a reservoir. It's very low cost and also reduces the environmental and social problems of moving people out of an area that's going to be flooded by a reservoir and destroying the environment. So this is really clever, sustainable way of improvement. One such example in the settlement of Darbang, which is near the Kathmandu, has actually seen, because of these new micro-hydro power plants, it's seen an increase in the amount of industry in the area. And we've seen things like furniture workshops, cement block makers, a noodle factory and farms springing up in the area because they now have good access to electricity. In Nepal as well, the other alternative that they're moving on to is using solar energy. And this is because obviously with the um, mountainous region and the number of sunshine hours, they also find that this is quite a good productive way of gaining their electricity. So Nepal has done some very clever simple ideas of really being sustainable, not damaging the environment, not causing a problem to moving on people and getting electricity to these inaccessible areas. That's the end of the specific podcast on energy. Again, as always, I hope you've learned something and this now finishes the human course. So thank you very much for listening.